0: Welcome to the Cultured Chameleon podcast. My name is Eugene, and I'm here with my co-host, Lucas. And we are here to talk about their cultural experiences, mental health
1: topics, and theological and philosophical topics as well. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Cultured Chameleon podcast. This is Lucas. Thank you for joining us today. I have my lovely guest and co-host today. Well, my lovely co-host and my guest today, Eugene, um, and we are going to be talking about EMDR, um, maybe the training behind it and some of the philosophy behind it. Um, I am not specialized in EMDR. That's not my specialty, but I hope to one day. Um, but Eugene is going through that training right now, I believe. Is that correct?
0: Well, I guess we're always improving our skills. Technically, I finished part two training. Okay. So I was going through it, but now training certified. So I completed both part one and part two. Okay. But it's definitely something that I'm going to be constantly training and getting consultation in. Cool. And so I'm just a novice at this.
1: Yeah. But there are a lot of cool things about EMDR, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Maybe shed some light from... The, the basic knowledge that we understand and know as um, as counselors and, and as we continue to train and learn as we grow, um, I'm sure we'll learn more about EMDR in the future and how that um, probably will change in the future, I imagine. Um, but how it's just been a really good evidence-based treatment, um, maybe even call it like a psychotherapy approach to... But yeah, that's what I've heard, at least. That's what I've read.
0: Yeah, that's fairly accurate, I think. And yeah, I guess as clinicians, we're always constantly learning. Yes. And honing those and getting CEUs.
1: Yeah. Oh, love my CEUs. Have you have you done any CEUs yet?
0: Technically, but they don't count because I'm not licensed. I guess that's true. Yeah. But this was for CEUs. So if you do this in the future, hmm Also, if you work for a non-profit organization and you do it through HAP, Mm -hmm. it's much cheaper. What is is HAP? For anyone that's interested in um, EMDR training and want to work with populations um, that might struggle with trauma, if you work for a nonprofit organization, you can actually get the training through HAP. And I forget exactly what the acronym stands for, but if you go to EMDR and then type HAP, it'll show up. And it's for, as I mentioned... Uh, people that work for these nonprofits and might be first responders as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get this ancillary training for your toolkit to work with the trauma population and it's at a significantly reduced price. Nice.
1: Well, do you have your, do you have your binder? I do. I think it says what HAP stands for on your binder actually.
0: I don't know if this was, the binder was through HAP, though. Oh, maybe not. I this thought is it said this humanitarian. Because just a standard. Oh, humanitarian assistance program. That's what it was. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if these are issued through HAP, though, because. Yeah, they do. They are issued through HAP. Okay. So for those interested, go to www.emdrhap.org and then you can find more information about it with regards to the training programs when they're offered you can do online or in person and again they're at a significantly reduced rate surprised right
1: i think what normally for emdr training it's like a thousand to two thousand dollars is that like for some of the trainings that i've heard of it's like up in the thousands
0: i think it can be i want to see like eight something to nine something, like eight hundred hundred something to nine something. 8,000 to 9,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be, that'd be insane. I was like, That's buying a used card. Yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> um, although I think it's probably that useful. If, even if it was that much, it would have been like, I mean, it's a pretty great treatment from what I hear. Oh And I yeah. think it works. Well, <laughs> I've never used it, <laughs> but Everything that I hear from other clinicians and my supervisor, and just some of the literature that's out there as well, really attests to how good it is working with, um, I guess, m- maybe mostly clients who have PTSD or some type of trauma. At least like, that's what I understand.
0: Yeah. And even, like you said, some type of trauma it doesn't necessarily have to be PTSD because there's specific criteria for that, but even, so just as like a clarification with regards to what we're talking about, when we talk about trauma, 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 Trauma. (laughs) from the, especially from an EMDR perspective, you're looking at maladaptive beliefs or memories. Actually, I'm gonna say specifically memories and then talk about what memories include. Maladaptive memories that are stored in the brain and essentially, and your body. That's, so when we say memories, we talk about specifically your five senses, body sensations, emotions, thoughts, and beliefs. So how these, all these memories get maladaptively stored. Okay. So it could be, because the saying is, I forget what the exact saying is, the body remembers like the story essentially.
1: Body keeps the
0: score. That's what it is. Body keeps the score. So... It's just kind of like you might smell some good food, start salivating. Your body will do these things autonomically without your conscious decision-making. So with trauma, it's the same thing. Certain stimuli might occur, and because of that, um, your body responds in a certain way. So essentially trauma is having these maladaptive memories stored and essentially living the past experiences now Mm-hmm. So that with the conceptualization of how we do EMDR. Okay. Because, yeah, in essence, with EMDR, you're trying to reprocess those past memories now while being, you have one foot in the past, one foot in the present.
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So you're trying to reprocess those memories so that they're not as overwhelming in the present when maybe you're triggered in some way. And maybe the memory comes back or a flashback or the sensations come back and you don't know what to do with those and they feel overwhelming. Is that a little bit of like what that is for you?
0: Yeah, kind of. Essentially you're trying to adaptively. So we talk about the adaptive the API AIP model, adaptive information processing model, mm-hmm. which is a model it's kinda of like theoretical model, you could say, mm-hmm. with which we understand the client, so you're trying to adaptively process these memories so that you can have more of a quote-unquote adaptive response. Okay. And that could look like, I think what I... The door just opened <laughs> up. <laughs> just <laughs> ran. Sorry. Okay. okay. Gotta keep, well, I mean, you want to keep your door closed. keep the cats inside. I don't know. Make sure they're not scrambling.
1: So you were talking about the adaptive uh,
0: information processing model, processing yeah. model, and okay. in the essence, what that looks like is understanding how these maladaptive memories. And again, we talk about memories, we include body sensations, all the senses, thoughts, emotions, and beliefs. All these memories um, play into the present, mm-hmm. so you're kind of stuck in the past, and adaptively allowing your brain to reprocess these memories so um you can have more of an adaptive response to being in present now and what's going on and that can look like oh i feel really overwhelmed and i'd say specifically also being able to self-regulate that Mm -hmm. might look like an adaptive response that would be desirable okay so um where's i going with that oh Sometimes I think there's a proclivity towards saying, oh, this is like a bad or good or make it a moral thing. I want to put it out there that it's more so. One thing that I liked about how, I was listening to another person podcast, they talked about how trauma is like an appropriate, like a normal response for an abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. So if you look at people that were fighting in wars, and I think that's, that's, Initially, where they started looking at trauma, like with war vets, and at one point people called that shell shock. Yeah. So, if you look at those experiences, like how they respond in that moment is appropriate. They just they don't have a lot of time to process. They're not allowed to like they're not really able to. If, I'm assuming anyway. I don't want to talk as though I fought in some more. Have not. <laughs> I assume that you at a certain point, if you're in a in a battle, you have to keep going, and that's what I hear from other people. Um other people's reports so you don't have time to process these uh, memories you just kind of respond and then later on having a maladaptive um processing of those memories can come up in the present you're trying to create a situation where the brain can actually heal itself which is why i find this approach very interesting is because it's really the clinician is there to guide that process Mm -hmm. and you're helping them board this train Let their brain do the work. So as I see, it's really empowering. It's not like me fixing them. It's letting their brain do the work. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so that's cool. So the adaptive information processing model is basically like the the um, the brain and the body's way of processing terrible memories, I guess, or maybe. Memories that weren't stored correctly. And so it sounds like there's like, there's just like a natural way for the body to do it. Um, because like you said, we're just kind of like letting the client do what they do, or at least let the the body and the brain do what they do, um, or just help helping facilitate that. So there's like an inherent process for the person's body to do that but maybe we don't know how or yeah, that's what it
0: sounds like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the, so when you're looking through the AIP model, you're looking at how like past memories affect the present. Mm-hmm. Really. That's what um, we end up kind of using that for. So you might, so you might not feel like safe now and it's not unlikely that that's tied to Previous, like not necessarily, but it could be tied to previous events. And you could sometimes trace it back to early childhood experiences or like feeling like great sense of responsibility. So for example, um, like kids often, the way they interpret the world and see the world, they put a lot of responsibility on themselves to explain like what happened. So if a child like witnessed one spouse beating another one, the child might develop this maladaptive belief saying that I'm responsible for mm-hmm. like my mom or my dad's hurt that eventually like played out in the present. So we're kind of using this model to, to kind of like look through the client through these lens, like what are some of the quote unquote maladaptive beliefs that are stored now that might've been triggered now because of some past experiences. Okay. Yeah. And then there's like four, I think it's interesting because kind of ties a little bit into CBT mm-hmm. in an interesting way cuz there's like four main ones um one of them's like safety one of them has to do with like belonging connection oh which i guess i could talk about i'm going to talk about that one a little later okay um responsibility and then man defectiveness defectiveness yeah so defectiveness might look like thoughts of like i'm not worthy of being loved Oh, okay. I'm not like worth, I'm not like, I'm not capable. I'm not competent.
1: So these are like the, the four big categories from yeah, which exactly. core beliefs may come. Like people may have like different sayings for core beliefs, like I'm worthless, or yeah. I'm not enough, yeah. or I'm, a, yep. yeah, exactly, and so, exactly those Okay. Ones. Okay. Oh, that's interesting.
0: So, and then you try, kind of, you kind of use this model to see if like, like how these manifest themselves later on. And there's like different statements for each, So that's why those are like four core. Mm -hmm. You can you can subdivide them into different kind of like, I guess, propositional belief statements. Right. That that (laughs) kind of like we kind of tell ourselves with our with our self talk, and it might be implicit. Like the client might not. It might not be in the where um, an awareness.
1: It might not be something that they register, that they believe, or that they're doing. Yeah. But it does come out maybe. And the way they talk about a situation or about themselves. And, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that. So that, yeah, it makes sense.
0: So that might some, and it might change to, that's the other thing I was thinking, you might start off with, oh, this is the core belief. I'm like unlovable or whatever. It might turn into something like, oh, actually I feel like I don't have connection and I don't belong. So it's just my shift from the core theme of like defect, 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 defectiveness to... Mm-hmm. To like belonging connection okay so that might they might change as you go through this
1: so it can transcend different uh core beliefs
0: yeah transcend or like well, kind of scale yeah and bring up more like because we talk about what i call feeder memories so as you're doing this reprocessing you'll bring up more memories that it's interesting because feeder memories like feeder yeah like that feed into the cognition or feed into the memories interesting like, okay do you know what I'm saying? Like I do, feed I do, yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I know there's some interesting <laughs> terms in here. At first I was like, what are you guys talking about? And then I was like, oh, this actually kind of makes sense. It's like a simple way of labeling. Yeah. Um, how do I speak of this more generally? So that, so for example, if, say like I'm working with a client and then we're doing this, it might bring up like, oh, other people are actually there in this experience. Or there was also this that might affect the cognition. So, say for example, a client was like witnessing.
1: Um, let's go with the spouse and spouse. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like say, with the client was witnessing one spouse getting hurt. We'll just leave it at that. And then they realize someone else is there. That might affect how you interpret the situation. Yeah. Like let's say like an you, older Let's say you your past self witness like one parent being another parent. And then you think you're responsible for the whole situation. And then you realize like your uncle is actually part of this. Oh,
1: that's that's
0: going to change how you process this memory. Yeah. Right. Versus yeah. if you that was out of your awareness. Right. And that's why you're really letting the brain do that kind of work and like reprocess these memories.
1: Wow. So there could be... You could be stuck on this one specific memory, um, and have a specific perception about what happened, what you did, which kind of correlates to that, the core belief that you have about yourself. Um, but when doing the reprocessing, um, through EMDR, there might be additional information pieces from that memory that come into awareness and that changes the perception of what happened in that memory. And so it might evolve, like it could, I guess, theoretically it could be worse. Like you could realize like, oh my gosh, this was so much worse than I thought it was. Or it could also be like, oh, there's, now someone had it in control and it could have been worse, but it was stopped because of this or by this person, or at least that's how I'm, picturing and understanding what you're, what you're saying about having feeder memories come in.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. And I think as they go through it, they're going to see a lot of, it's not like they're not going to see a lot of negative aspects, but eventually you move towards like healing. So you're reprocessing these things. So not so the memory gets worse and worse necessarily like. Okay. (laughs) Like, uh, (laughs) like you're going to remember like more, negative aspects for, for some people that Mm -hmm. don't like that are dissociating. Right. Like, but eventually you get to the point where you can, I think it's realizing like I can be present with these. It's kind of like watching a movie, right? Yeah. So you're on a train watching this movie and you're able to do so without getting re-traumatized or like triggered. Okay. So you can see worse aspects of it but the memory and how it affects you in the, after going through the therapy and treatment is gonna be more adaptive and improve.
1: So you've, that's the train analogy that you've used a couple of times. Can you explain the train analogy and what that is?
0: So when you're going through it with a client, you're kind of telling them you're gonna hop on board this train so they can be observers of like what's going on. And then sometimes this is correlated with like kind of like on this and that you're watching. You're safe in this train in the present while being able to um, face and kind of observe those kind of negative memories and experiences. And again, by memories, that could be body sensations. Yeah. So part of this also is yeah. if you're very, co- if you're a very like cognitive type of client, very much into <laughs> the cognitive aspect, you might want to like encourage them to think about where do you notice this in your body? Like, is it your head? Your, and then you go through kind of um, different aspects of memories, which are the things that we talked about before, because you're really trying to sweep out. The, <laughs> like, there's a lot of great analogies. <laughs> it that,
1: sounds like it. I
0: was give in this, because you're kind of sweeping out these areas of maladaptively mm-hmm. um, processed memories. Okay.
1: So really you are, through EMDR, you're reprocessing, the traumatic memories, so that they don't have um, kind of like I don't want to call them maladaptive effect. It's, it's like a normal reaction, but so that you don't have that reaction, that physiological reaction, um, or maybe those beliefs about yourself when you are triggered by that memory or triggered outside of that. Um, but it doesn't doesn't mean that that is you know, it's done like no more therapy or once people have processed that or reprocessed that uh, traumatic memory, do they then go on to work on like, I guess what other pieces of therapy would be like, like cognitive reframing um, or maybe career counseling or, you know, whatever they want to go on to.
0: I suppose this would depend on your clients. What, I'm inclined to say is you might go through the reprocessing. Also, there's a future template, but I'll say this first. Like you might go through reprocessing and then let's say you work them into a spot where you check what are called the SUDs, Mm -hmm. um, subjective units of distress, and then the VOCs. Oh, I don't know what that is. Which I forget what the acronym means. Essentially, it, it stands for like how true, like how, how vertical, I don't think that's. Veracity. Be, it's to do with the veracity, how <laughs> vertical a statement might be. Mm, okay. So vertical is just truth bring. That's the word I'm using. It might be veracity or something. But essentially it's the idea of like how truthful is this statement to you. Oh, so okay. you're 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 looking for a zero for distress and like a seven for this belief. So the belief that I can belong. That's one that I worked on. Because we got to practice on each other. Okay. (laughs) Like I can belong. um, Like you want to get that up to seven, so they the the cognition, whatever they're working on, is very true Mm. as well. So Mm. they're not experiencing too much distress, and the cognition then is is true. Um, So at the end of it, they might they it might be like a zero and a seven, but you might check them the next day, and it might be. You might have gone up because the brain story processes even when you leave that's so crazy so like you can dream about it like <laughs> and it is really wild because we did it on each other right yeah so I noticed like I was actually like thinking about some of these things and then I'd get insights huh. as I was like because your brain is just gonna naturally keep working interesting so you're you're facilitating all that and that's why when they come back the next day you might uh, review any new insights
1: mm-hmm
0: and whatnot and eventually what you also end up doing depends on how far along in the stages and phases um, you do what's called a future template so kind of like instilling like adaptive response in the future how do you want to handle these things and like uh, okay. what are some you're also yeah you're also kind of looking at when you're doing resourcing anyway you're kind of instilling past positive experiences but for a future template you're kind of looking at well how do I then carry this on to the future?
1: I've read about the, um, the, the term called resources from what I understand resources, um, is referring to like past positive experiences that we have, which might be, um, um, kind of like our developmental stages of like when we when we complete a developmental stage well um that would technically be like a positive experience cuz we would probably argue that that was because if we completed it there was a positive experience associated with that and so like having a a secure attachment with a caregiver would be a positive resource is that is that fair to say like a resource is like
0: a positive. Yeah. Okay. And I also want to throw this out there before we keep talking. I'm not an expert at this. I'm not a trainer at this. <laughs> I know. So I hope like listen to this with, um, that in mind as well. If you want training, go to the go to website Hap. or go to EMDRIA, which is the EMDR official website and do that kind of training gets, get professional consulting. Um, before I continue, I just want you guys to all keep that <laughs> so in mind as we talk about these. <laughs> Um Also, don't think that you're trained after just listening to this, or think that I'm in, like understand where I'm at. I'm just new at this. For resources, yeah, they can definitely be like those positive experiences and support with people. So mm-hmm. if you have like good, like you always wanna screen for adequate resources before you do EMDR. And if they need more, you might do RDI which forget exactly what the acronym right, is. As, yeah. as you can. But basically you're instilling that positive resource. So with RDI, what you're doing is you're asking, in essence, and if you want this therapy done, don't just listen to this and think you're going to do it. On the, I like on how one you, thing. How you keep putting that out there. It's like, don't don't take this for work. Well, because I remember on the quiz that they make us take, and she talked about it this towards the end. Someone asked, like, is this good for clinicians to do on their own? Because oh, you might start thinking, okay. oh, well, I can just listen to this and start <laughs> Do it in the mirror. <laughs> and uh, so, and I can easily think as someone, I don't know, sometimes when you listen to podcasts, you're like, well, I'm going to figure out how to diagnose myself and like, yeah. all, these, like yeah. all these kind of things. Don't,
1: don't do that. Don't, yeah.
0: don't, don't do that. <laughs> um, We're
1: not supposed to do that to ourselves.
0: Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> Um, So with the resourcing, you're trying to look for that past positive experience when you did accomplish something. Mm -hmm. So it's great when there's also like a lot of adaptive um, skills in there because then the client might be like, oh, yeah, like I I did this project well. And you're you're really tapping into that experience and that feeling of like accomplishment and like, oh, I can do these things and instilling them. Oh, okay. through the work. And the great thing about this is like, I might not be doing EMDR exactly with other clients. But these are themes that I can take to weave into like other conversations, especially with dialectical thinking. Yeah. And like, just noticing and like, if someone's struggling with self worth, like, noticing some positives. Right. So that's, that's where I find like, these themes interesting as well, because you're looking at like, how did you feel like you're noticing like the change in affect? And like, when you kind of hone in on these things, like, it's really cool to see in clients, like that shift from, oh, like I'm, I'm good for nothing, blah, blah, to like, oh, like, you know, I was able to overcome something, you know, like yeah, though that positive affect we talked about coping tools last time. It's like yeah. helping you shift as well from.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the positive psychology of focusing on the strengths and the capabilities of the client and really like reinforcing them and bringing those out more rather than always focusing on, um, maybe like an issue of like, how did, what, what did you do wrong this last week? And let's focus on how we can change that and, and switching that to that. what did you do right this past week? Yeah. And let's do more of that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Things to be thankful for. Like, just like being more as I see it with trauma, you get really focused in, on something very, at times, very like specific. I think what can be helpful sometimes is like helping the brain or facilitating the brain to see more, you're gaining more awareness. Yeah. And I think that that can be very insightful. It's like, well, there's these other components to my experiences as well. And yeah, seeing that shift in, like with some of these things that like we do calm state, okay it, which is a similar thing so that's um it's a resource if they get to usually they, they say the word aroused or like triggered you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing and it's difficult to to de-escalate and regulate and come back from being so so triggered so I guess, triggered would yeah. be the right way yeah yeah um we do calm state and the cool thing about calm state is you see that shift in cognition. Like I think one of the interesting things, I was reading about EMDR and anxiety and trauma. Sometimes there's this myth that like, I can do nothing to have control over my anxiety or not. But these tools actually are really effective in like being able to like self regulate some of those things. And calm state is really cool because I can, I can see the shift in like disturbance yeah. And then being able to tap into like that calm state, calm place. So essentially okay. what you're instilling is like quote unquote calm, calm place or mm-hmm. calm, safe place. Yeah. And then okay. you're increasing that affect in that state, which includes like how you feel, mm-hmm. um, what you're visualizing. Like, again, you're instilling all those qualities of memory, like um, your five senses, thoughts, beliefs, how you feel in your body mm-hmm. and being able to like regulate that. So like you're going to that calm state. So if I'm, and then what you do with the client is you have them bring up like a, man, I really need to sneeze. (laughs) 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 um, You bring up, you bring up that negative affect, like a small dosage of it. And then you, after, after you've instilled the calm state and then you tell them to think of the word associated with the calm state Mm -hmm. and then they're able to reduce that distress or anger.
1: Right. So it's, you can kind of test and see if it will well, if yeah, if they're a calm state and the the word associated with that will kind of help reduce the annoyance that they have yeah. with the specific tinier yep. experience or thought or situation.
0: Yep. And that's what it is. You ask them think of something uh, I think at a two yeah. or three of annoyance. Uh huh. And then bring up what it feels like, and what the thing is, and like just like experience the feeling in your body, and then think of the, and then after think of the calm state work. And for a lot of people, it works. Like they're like, oh, I feel relaxed. I don't care about that thing anymore. Yeah. Like it's just you're kind of instilling the tool to regulate the affect.
1: Yeah. Can I ask what is what is your calm state? Is,
0: if you did you do that? For yeah, yourself? I did that. I did. A, that was tough. I was. I was gonna build a beach one, but it ended up being lake. Oh, okay. Like it was just me playing guitar at the lake and then I always feel like this so hokey when I'm doing it, I'm like, this what am I doing here? <laughs> but I try to go with it and then it it like worked. And I think what helped me specifically, and I think I'd assume anyway with clients or people in general that are very cognitively focus, it's like being aware of where it is physically in my body. Hmm. So when I said the word I was like Oh, wow. Like I can tap into like, what that feels like.
1: Yeah. So you can also experience calming down as well. And what that is like, rather than just thinking about being calm. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So that's why I think this is interesting. It's like, it's not just me like looking around and thinking, oh, like I'm not being, I'm not unsafe or anything. It's like, I also feel that, feel that physiologically as well.
1: That's good. That's and, good.
0: And I think i was listening to another podcast. I thought it was interesting how learning actually can also be assessed based on like how anxious you feel. I think too, like when you, because like the brain is like a learning predicting machine in one framework, right? Yeah. So you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future and how to handle the chaos with the already pre-existing cognitions and structures that I have. And then when you're able to have a good idea on predicting like how to handle the chaos and like navigate the uncertainties that come towards you, it's kind of like a heart monitor. You can kind of see like that anxiety, like slowly even out okay. versus when you're faced with all these unknowns, and it's spiking high because you're not, you don't have the tools to like, you don't fully understand what's going on. But once you like see it then, and you can kind of predict it and your body knows what to do with it, anxiety um, reduces. Okay. So this kind of like doing that physically as well. It's like physically, I understand like, I'm learning that I'm in a calm and safe place.
1: Yes, yeah. And that takes practice I imagine, cause you, you can do it in session um but then you can also do it for yourself outside of session right is that because you can do that calm space yes. for yourself yes so it, you also have to practice that then um yeah because i imagine you probably don't think about the calm word right away when something triggers you maybe um
0: yeah yeah i, yeah, no, I think <laughs> that's a great point to bring up because with a lot of these tools and techniques it's probably good to practice them even when you don't like it's like breathing right practicing breathing techniques if you only bring them out when you have a panic attack, they're not gonna be super accessible necessarily yeah because you're not, because you didn't practice you're it not you're
1: thinking about it a panic attack you're, you're, <laughs> 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 let me do my four by four <laughs>
0: like that's why I encourage like practicing before the like massive distressing situation yeah. occurs so that you're like more prepared it's kind of like I, don't know, I guess if you're a firefighter and you you prepare and you train for to go to a fire yeah, to go into fire and save people and you don't just do that right before the incident occurs like <laughs> you develop those neural pathways so it's easier to access because it makes sense like if I was super anxious like it's gonna be hard for me to think about those things
1: yeah
0: like so i understand why like you'd want to kind of why it'd be difficult before. to do that yeah, yeah. practicing can, yeah it makes
1: a lot of sense um i had a question i was gonna ask <clears throat> yeah um so do you have any thoughts of how like emdr works cross-culturally um because what i know a little bit is that emdr has has been recognized by the world health organization no i know it's been recognized in other countries though as uh as a treatment base that does work in in some other countries as well um but what can can you share anything about what you understand maybe from your perspective
0: I guess who, yeah, from my perspective, <laughs> and to steal, I guess I'm going to be stealing from other experts that I've heard, Yes. hopefully not misarticulating it. Um. I guess who would be a fair assumption? I'm curious too, like who is pretty international? Yeah, World but Health I, Organization Yeah, but, for
1: those who don't know.
0: But the cool thing about this, I'm glad you brought it up so I remember to talk about it, is that you can actually do this blind, meaning... The, cl- the client doesn't have to really tell you anything, and you can kind of do this because it's it is about them and their brain to reprocess this. So it's actually kind of difficult for me not to reframe hmm. and reflect and use <laughs> <laughs> use the innate listening skills that I've been taught. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> taught to do. Um, and what this means is, you might only need like a translator you kind of, kind of go through the interview process, take some information down, so that you can figure out. And I guess like, what it, what would be interesting to see, what would be interesting to see is um, how the cognitions play out in different cultures. I'm not too sure, but the reprocessing itself really can be done with almost anyone. And if you need like a translator, you can get a translator to help you with. Some very minimal information and they can do like when I did mine the second time around, I didn't really say much. I just gave brief things about what's going on and then I allowed my brain to reprocess. Hmm. Okay. So all this to say is like, this is also a great tool that can be used um, cross culturally in different cultures and with populations that, May not be allowed to say too much. I imagine if you're doing reprocessing with like, yeah. like a military personnel that holds a lot of sensitive information, right. they can't tell you much. Yeah. So it's like a great way for them to still work on the traumatic experiences and reprocess those while not divulging too much to you as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would be. That's very cool. I like how that you can actually do it through a a translator as well because I know that sometimes that can be kind of difficult in terms of when you do therapy with a translator and another person who only speaks a different language compared to you sometimes things will get lost in translation either due to um, cultural understanding and language and how that can be translated over so that's really cool to hear that you can do it blind i like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is really cool. And I think, and also it's one thing I find interesting about this is like, I'm not, at the end of the day, you can do cognitive interweaves, which are really interesting. It's kind of like if a person, because you're on this train track and then they kind of get stuck. Let's say the track just goes in circles or there's a block. You you do something with a cognitive interview to allow them to keep going. Um, What would that look like? That could look like where you're noticing your body, or one of the interesting ones was like, if someone's stuck on like, oh, I should have like, let's say we will go back to the the spouse thing, I should have been able to defend the other spouse. You might be like, well, how big were you? Like, how what was the size like size comparison difference? Or what? Or um, so then you're bringing into awareness of, well, that person's significantly bigger than you. You probably couldn't. Yeah. Realistically, it's not your responsibility to. And yeah.
1: especially if there was a kid.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, or what was the other one that was thinking? Or what would you tell? What might you tell like another someone in your situation? Cause usually as a child, you're like, I should have been responsible for this. I shouldn't have allowed all these things to happen. Yeah. And then the, the blame goes to the self and and then the cognition carries on in the future. But if you're looking at like someone else, like another child, yeah, you will think that there's no <laughs> way you're responsible for like right. your, your dad or your mom hurting your yeah. other spouse. So then bringing in that, just that like small notion of, Oh, well, like I might have said this, or it like, just offers a different perspective to allow them. And again, it's not, you're not, you're not like imposing, like, your belief you're like kind of having them notice these things mm-hmm. and interweaving like cognitions <laughs> that they might have it's kind of like
1: bringing up what we um understand as like well this is obvious like it's obvious that you couldn't do anything as let's say a six-year-old because you're six and you would get pummeled <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's like yeah yeah you Oh crap. You're not going to be able to do anything, but obviously not saying it like that. Exactly.
0: But you're kind of like, well,
1: I guess I don't know how you would actually <laughs> take a little practice, just being able to say yeah. it naturally, I guess.
0: Yeah. Being able to do that graciously. I Cause think. it's
1: kind of like a challenge. Like a, you're kind of like challenging that, that cognitive distortion. Um, and then I guess like, if they say like, uh, yeah, of course, then it continues to go with the, like you move past the obstacle then or or get unstuck from the yeah. circular train tracks.
0: Yeah, I think how I ended up seeing it was kind of like, like the stuck looks like I'm in this like same kind of thinking. It's like, I'm adding this to keep going with the thinking mm-hmm. and the movement less so like, I'm not like correcting you just like, giving you, you fog yeah yeah i'm like giving, giving you something else to like get out of this this rut yeah because like progress looks what was it going with oh yeah so culturally i'm not trying to tell you don't value this value this kind of thing it's like you're not getting stuck in the past right so you're able to move like with the thinking and the and the I don't think, I guess we didn't really mention this. You're, you're stimulating both hemispheres of your brain mm-hmm. to interact with one another, to adaptively right. store these responses. So you're, you're continuing that. Yeah.
1: Cause you're using the, you're using your, your fingers to go back and forth yeah. like a pendulum Yep. and then they follow with their eyes, which I guess stimulates both yep, hemispheres exactly. of your brain. Now I've heard you can do that though. Yep can you do it by tapping both your, your knees or your legs like that? Or does that work the same? Yeah. So, or is it a little bit different?
0: Apparently, compared? apparently. So the way this was developed was Francine Shapiro was like, I'm going to butcher these things, <laughs> but I'll give the gist that I think from what I remember is true. She was like walking and like processing something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was trauma. I don't want to say too much, but she was processing something and she was like walking and then she noticed that, like, doing this helped her process. So eventually what they figured out was, like, it had to stimulate both hemispheres of the brain, but the eye movements are technically researched to be the best way to do that. Okay, interesting. Not entirely oh. sure what that means. I'm assuming you have better outcomes, like, there's better correlation between using that method and, um, mm-hmm. and results. I'm sure there's some, a couple of research studies that
1: probably look at what lights up in your brain when they do a scan of it while you're doing that that'd be pretty cool i'm sure there, there has to be, be something because cool. yeah.
0: we have that capability and that technology now yeah there's definitely a lot of like there's a lot of research that i haven't tapped into yet right so i'm so it wouldn't be surprising if there's a lot of brain scan research associated with that as well that'd be cool it would be really cool mm-hmm.
1: okay Part two? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah, probably should do I'm definitely happy to do one when I should have more more knowledge on it. <laughs> but uh more experience. Yeah, more experience. <laughs> I have a couple of people, which is it's been really fun to I don't know, it's been really cool to see like change and growth and to That's me good. that stuff is really rewarding anyway. And see how like the brain works and someone be able to work through it. But tapping definitely is it's simulates that. Way. Yeah, you can do buzzers too. Oh, okay. So there's like, um, it'll buzz each side Mm -hmm. of your hand to stimulate the bilateral stimulation basically is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Have both hemispheres interacting while reprocessing the memory. So that's that's what's key about this is you're processing the memories while being in the present and having this bilateral stimulation. And then people do like the chest taps too
1: the butterfly taps yeah. that's what i call them.
0: yeah butterfly taps it's funny like one of the i forget who it was the one of the facilitators was telling us how she works with the military population so sometimes she might call it like the gorilla taps <laughs> the gorilla taps <laughs> Um, yeah, make it
1: uh, culturally appropriate, probably. Yeah, for the like population. for the for kids, butterfly taps. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big fun. You know, activating your armor taps. I don't know. <laughs> armor, I like that.
0: And then, so in theory, you they they essentially say stick to the script and you're good enough. But it seems like once you get <laughs> once you get like more experience with it, you have a little more wiggle room. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I I've heard that. That's very uh script oriented yeah. that you really have to like they're really picky about if you add like a an additional word like yeah. instead of saying instead of what the script might say like take a breath and if you say take a deep breath they might be like don't don't say take a deep breath <laughs> just say take a breath
0: just stick to the script one yeah. when, when that got honed in for us was like now now, like, what are you noticing? Because you have to say, so after each bilateral, um, I forget what it's called. Anyway, each bilateral after each bilateral session, I guess, uh-huh. you say, "Let it go, take a breath." And what are you noticing now? Okay, to keep the keep the client present. <laughs> Interesting. Like oh. that was that was kind of honed in on because you're you want one foot in the present, one in the past. Mm-hmm. So that you're also like aware of yourself now. Mm. And that's how a lot of, anyway, back to the being picky with words. That was one thing I remember them saying like, make sure you say this word. They <laughs> <like>, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> but it, it makes sense with regards to the framework. And it seems like once, like they want you to be able to do it like that. But from my understanding, some of the clinicians I improved, like the key things are there some words might end up looking different because they're so familiar with it.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Kind of thing. Like for example that like Lady sing gorilla taps. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like Yeah, change it. Change it ever so slightly. <laughs> um but the but the meaning behind it continues to be the same. Or at least the yeah. That's very cool. So maybe for our third culture kids and adults out there, MDR might be something that they could benefit from if it maybe relates to, I guess, trauma, which is a whole other topic to get into because there are a lot of different things that may categorize a traumatic event for a specific person, but definitely grief and loss and identity. as because those are kind of like big issues for the TCK uh, population, um, self-worth and, and all those things like that. So maybe EMDR, Just as an approach would be beneficial in helping reprocess specific memories and also processing and instilling, I guess, um, more positive skills for the future
0: as well. So, like, yeah, there's great, like we talked about coping tools last time, there's great, like, tools and techniques in this. Like, there's the light the lighthouse effect like there's all these great tools and like how they do deep breathing it's like amazing it's amazing to me to see the immediate results like okay like seeing someone like being able to calm down and like report feeling less anxious like i've even used some of these um techniques like not with emdr it's just like
1: I just, just pulled, outside
0: yeah just outside because they're great resource tools
1: what's the what's the lighthouse technique if you
0: <laughs> remember basically and very, we briefly talked about this. I usually end up weaving it a little differently. You you picture the anxiety or whatever the emotion is, you get a very strong like visual images. Mm-hmm. And then essentially you move the client to being able to imagine this like light coming down and kind of like calling and calming down maybe the anxiety. So it's very yeah. like imagery focused right. and noticing like how you feel physically.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: But depending on the client, I've used the framework and just tweaked a little bit differently to like suit what I think (laughs) might be appropriate. And then it's just like a technique to use like, oh, like I picture my anxiety or distress like this. Mm -hmm. And then picturing yourself being able to like, like let go of that. I've intertwined it with like muscle relaxation as well. So you're picturing your anxiety as like a metal ball or something, whatever it is, like Ooh, a mace. Okay. You know, stress is like it's all like it's like austere, it's cold, it's and then just picturing that like loosen up and
1: let like, like the, the light pl- and warmth, yeah, kind of come out, come down,
0: mm-hmm. and then just like wash away that imagery slowly and let it kind of pass through your body wow
1: okay and it's it's really cool because what you're saying is that when you use that sometimes you see the immediate effects instead of instead of like um, like practicing deep breathing skills maybe doesn't always maybe you don't always see the immediate effects but you ask them to practice outside so that you do see more effects
0: yeah although yeah Although for me, I feel like deep breathing is pretty helpful for the people that I've worked with. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, but, but yeah, definitely like you see a lot of immediate effects with it, which I think is really cool. And we did a podcast before on like CBT, right?
1: Yeah. CBT, RABT.
0: So that's kind of like a model (laughs) starting with cognitions to affect like your feelings and your behaviors. Yeah. This is kind of like starting with like your feelings and your behaviors to.
1: To affect cor- your cognitions. cognitions.
0: I like that. Yeah, I like that one more for some reason. Well, the other one can feel kind of combative. Sometimes <laughs> I think, like, you're like, no, I believe these things. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> challenging all my beliefs. Yeah.
0: So there's, because I remember, like, before we talked about it, and we talked about what are other approaches. This is, this is what it looked like from a different angle. Okay. Like, yeah, and. But I mean, my opinion it still stands that at the end of the day, those cognitions are really powerful, right? Yeah. But like how, but how we can like learn can be a little different. Like it can look differently for people. Doesn't have to be a massive debate. Like, <laughs> like we can we can learn and explore those cognitions in, in different ways. Okay. So these tools, I think, are they're pretty fun, and I think one one fun thing that I thought was fun to work on was. So i did belonging yeah and connection and i guess i want to i wanted to tie this in because i think sometimes as tck's you kind of feel like you don't belong. i've i've have felt like i don't belong this is my experience i are going to speak for other ones
1: well not far off maybe <laughs> i feel the same way
0: <laughs> but i assume that there's that thing of like I, f- I feel like i don't belong and you affectively don't feel that you feel like everyone's like i feel like everyone's different than me and I know I looked different.
1: (laughs) Also comes into play.
0: (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot of times where I was like Yeah, like these kids, you know, just didn't belong. Like I just felt like I didn't belong anyway. But doing some of the and it's not like I was traumatized. So so you're just taking these things and you're working on some of them. So this can be effective even if it's not like a like a trauma. Yeah, some some kind of major trauma or diagnosable one. Anyway, it, it certainly is what I was what I was talking about. For me, certainly wasn't diagnosable, but it was just like this experience and like working through this experience, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and I found interesting was like, eventually, I think my brain got to the place where I thought to myself, "Well, if God wants me here and I have a purpose here because it fulfills His mission, then maybe I I do belong in a sense." of like, I'm where God wants me to be. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really insightful. And it changed how it was. Like for me, I think I'm always going to be like cognitive and then it flows through how I feel affectively. But the reason why I got there was like also experiencing the other side of how my memories affected me physically and my senses as well. Because you really tap into like how you experience this. And fleshing that out allowed me to, think about well if that's the case then maybe i do belong it just doesn't look like what i thought it it should be like it doesn't have to look like and also we're all kids (laughs) like no one really understands their belonging (laughs) like everyone is trying to figure that portion out and these are things that i knew but it's like i experienced them different after doing this anyway yeah and like that was more like prominent in my mind i was like oh, well, you can actually like feel the sense of belonging of like we're all just kind of figuring this part out of our life and if that's where like I'm called to be and then looking back also like thinking about the other memories attached to it, then I'm like, well, I actually had all these great friends there that are kind of like on the background of the focus for some reason. But like I had a lot of great friends there, supportive network. One thing I realized was like, I've always been given a population of great support everywhere I went. For some reason, my brain focuses on certain of these things. And like, I knew it's like, it's one of those things where like, you know, it's true, but like doing this really brought it to light. I don't know. I was like, oh, these, these really nice. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, there's so much of this. And it's funny because like I'll hear other people kind of say like, you know, these things, you know, it's true, but like, for some reason it's not like, it's just not connecting. It's just not, con- exactly. It's yeah. not connecting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard so, that <laughs> so that's where I feel like if you just argue with someone, that cognitive portion of it might feel very combative, but cause you're kind of like, well, I already know these things. Yeah. So it's cool to, to kind of gain awareness into that, like sense of belonging anyway, connection.
1: That's really good
0: and very relatable
1: too I'll have to let you know when I try EMDR <laughs> <laughs> see what happens for me as well um, yeah I think you made a lot of good of points that kind of related to your experiences growing up as a TCK and also just because you also look different too <laughs> that's also a big <laughs> factor actually
0: yeah I remember for for the longest time and they do talk about like a lot of cultural things actually in the book, like microaggressions and all these things that hmm. maybe can be reprocessed. Yeah. Like discrimination. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom got denied visa documents. Someone told her she was Chinese. Like to her there. face, I was like, oh man. That's, wow. But yeah. Straight up. Okay. Definitely, I'm a proponent of this method. It seems pretty effective, but it's not like, it's I, I think my clients should be prepared. I'm not going to like force people and say, this is the only way for healing kind of thing.
1: It's not a cure all. It's yeah. not a magic pill, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, but it is effective. Yes. exactly. Um, and it can be effective whether you have experienced trauma or have not experienced trauma. It sounds like, um, and yeah before another podcast we can dive into trauma a little bit more as just like a specific cuz that's a pretty hot topic word yeah exactly uh and uh and conversation to have and um there are a lot of things that go into it that are very personal um and there are a lot of things that go into it that are also um evidence based um and culturally as well and so i think we can kind of get into that a little bit more for another episode (laughs) not this one Um, but this has been wonderful getting to know a little bit more about EMDR uh, and Eugene's uh, experience and his training uh, with it as well Um, maybe in a few years time Eugene will be not a novice anymore and (laughs) (laughs) just a real master uh, at what he's doing here as well again Um, All of this is just us kind of talking about it. Um, If you do have issues that you are struggling with, please see a professional. Um, This can be a good starting point to maybe have some words, um, but definitely go see a professional if that's what you're thinking.
0: Yeah. And feel free if you want additional resources on this or information, feel free to contact us. In large part, we're doing this podcast also to help. People get connected with resourcing and yeah if you have questions about lucas and i's experience or just questions about the podcast feel free to email us feel
1: free to email us
0: our email is the cultured chameleon or cultured chameleon sorry
1: i don't know anymore it's, it's cultured, <laughs> cultured chameleon, chameleon at
0: gmail.com we really would like your feedback and yeah just encourage these conversations um, and be able to get being able to be connected with one another. Excellent.
1: All right, y'all. Ta-ta.
0: Ta-ta. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs>